Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. How do I sound now? Sound okay? Did you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, here we go. California University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know a lot of people who went there out of high school. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Um, but yeah, where, no. Where I mean, is it's that? Uh, what, it's, is it in Pittsburgh? It's an hour south of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, I wish it was in Pittsburgh. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> one stop light town man an hour south of pittsburgh is west virginia man <laughs> yeah there's a whole bunch of people down into like wheeling, that go yeah. down there and they act like man they act like they some cowboys or something man <laughs> Dude, you would think you you would think west virginia is nashville right 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 <laughs> We're recording now. No comment. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'll just say this. I have a I have a dear friend of mine who's from West Virginia. She's lived there her whole life. She loves West Virginia. So I I throw my hands up. I just go, okay. I got I know it's not all of y'all. Y'all are you cool. But, you know. <laughs> Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comment is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs. Like the bullshit and braggadocio, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then he yeah. kept their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping in there. And Marcus Thompson. I just can't get with this idea of taking one hour of content yeah. and finding the morsel that might pop and blowing at him. Hoops and Jason. Jason. Welcome to Hoop 5 4. We have ignition. And it is another edition of Hoops and Jason. Hey, the comic here. How are you on this wonderful it is another Dang Hoops Chasing episode of the Athletic NBA Show. David Aldridge in D.C. And we have people way smarter than me, and I love this. Marcus is on a plane going to Memphis uh, for game five as we tape. So um, to see the, the end of the Grizzly season, I'm afraid, uh, with game five. But I got two guys that are jumping in to help me t- this week to talk about the playoffs, to talk about the draft, to talk about MVP. That's what we do here at Hoops and Jason. We talk about hoops at every level. So my man, Law Murray, who covers the Clippers for us at The Athletic, is is joining in. I appreciate you stopping in, Law. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, shout out to Marcus, of course. Uh, man, that, that series is... Uh, I'm not going to say anything right now, but... Well, what, what, what would you like to say? <laughs> I'd like to say that... For all the clowning that we gave the Timberwolves for blowing them leads in that series, right? How the Grizzlies down 3-1 and they had their double-digit leads in all three of those games they lost, bro. Yeah, that's... That's pretty typical, though. I mean, for, that's tough, man. For a young, that's what happens to young teams. They don't really know how to close, and you could see it last night in the last minute. I mean, woo, that was some decision making. <laughs> yeah, like I love comebacks. Yeah, but 
That wasn't even a fun comeback no, to watch. No, it was inevitable. Right, they were just kind of like scraping and scrapping, and it's not like they went on like a thirty-one to two run and they hit, hit like six threes and no. everybody. It was just like, eh, eh, Memphis isn't going to score any more points tonight. So I guess yeah, we they win. refused to take the blessing. <laughs> right, and it was it, it was very difficult to watch. Yeah, oh, it was hard. It was hard. And and, and our guru. Our man from down under, Sam Vecini. Sam, thank you, man, for jumping in. Appreciate it. Good to see you again. Listen to DA. Every time I come on this show, he acts like, oh, I'm just the I'm just the guy. DA's forgotten more about basketball than I will ever know. (laughs) I mean, we got we got DA here who's been in every locker room everywhere for (laughs) years upon years. And here I am. Actual Hall of Famer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actual (laughs) Hall of Fame. I'll tell you guys this though on Memphis. I love that Memphis team so much because of the way they fight. Like, yeah, they have to learn how to win. Yeah, they have to learn how to make decisions. But the thing about that front office is they draft really smart dudes. They're super competitive. Mm. And I think that it has showcased on the competitiveness side so far. But in terms of being able to make decisions late in games – they just need more experience, kind of like you guys said. It's a young yeah. team. You know, their best three players are all on rookie scale deals still. It's just right. going to take some time. Right. No question. And look, Jaw's, Ja is so good that it's, I think it's inevitable. He's just too good. You know, <laughs> he's too good not to be in a finals real soon because he's just that good. So um, he's, it's like Giannis. It's like Giannis. He's just so good that you know that if, if, the, if they are at all competent in the front office, they will put people around him who can help help elevate him, um, which is a good place to start because I was in Milwaukee last night for uh, game four. And again, Law, to your point, Milwaukee's been up twice in the second half by double digits and blown both of the leads. And, and part of that is that, you know, Chris Middleton's not there, but part of it is, you know, to your point, Sam, Boston fights, man. They fight. They're not, you know the prettiest team aesthetically all the time, but they fight. And man, Al Horford was insane in game four. He was just ridiculous. Um, I mean, 35 years old and 11 of 14 from the floor, six to six in the fourth quarter, just, Oh my God, he was so good. And, you know, and Tatum finally kind of woke up and, you know, got going in the fourth quarter. So I think Milwaukee blew that, blew that game and that may hurt them that may come back to haunt them because Tatum hasn't really played well in seven of the eight quarters and it's still tied two to two I couldn't know Al Horford could still jump <laughs> I mean Al will sneak on you he'll sneak <laughs> jump you every once in a while <laughs> like Shoot. you know he's it's like he's I ain't see you I ain't seen you look like that before Al <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been a minute. No, he doesn't do it all the time. But when he has to, because I saw him shove Nene out the way to get the fun, you know, to get the game winning put back in a playoff series. And Nene was not one to be trifled with, you know what I mean? So yeah. from the strength tip. So, um, but let me get your uh, your takes on the, this round, which I think is the best round of the playoffs. I always think the conference semifinals is by far the best because most years, I'll say six of the eight teams have a legit chance to win the whole thing. It's not always eight. In fact, it's rarely eight. But usually most years, it's six of the eight at least have a, have a legit shot. Like this year, I don't think you can honestly say Memphis without John Moran has a legit shot of winning the NBA championship, right? But but 
what do you make of of what we're seeing with only only the Golden State series is three one, right? Everything else is two two. Right. So jump in. Man. When well, the the first thing I, I agree to your point, like we're about to run out of multiple games a day. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, I cover a team that obviously they've been done for uh, coming up on a month now. And uh, I've been able to do so much with my life, you know, <laughs> been able to take care of some, some life things and everything. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of players are like that too. We're all watching this. We're all, we're, we're all becoming each other. Um, so <laughs> that's really, I think you have to really appreciate this week. If you, if you enjoy it, you know, knowing that you're going to get to chill, watch a couple of games a night, you're about to, those days are about to be over. Yes. <laughs> and and so that's the, that's the most important takeaway that I've got. It's like, Hey, I, I wanted Memphis to win just so we had four. I, I wanted to be greedy. Yeah. Like let, give me four best of three series. And obviously um, Memphis, not just are they down three, one, but Ja has a bone bruise in his knee. So he's doubtful for the rest of the postseason, yeah, yeah. even if they somehow get three wins in a row. Bone bruises, but, bone bruises weeks. It's not days. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, like it's even more of a reason to appreciate what you're seeing now, because the reality of injuries is uh, you never know who's going to get hurt. What's going to ha- happen. We've seen teams, win without their best players, win without starters. Boston, the two games they've won against the Bucks. Marcus Smart didn't play in one of those games. And Robert Williams, Tom Lord, he didn't play in game four. Yeah. And that unlocked some things for the Celtics. So that's really my takeaway is, one, appreciate what you're seeing. And two, these teams have all had to adjust to something, whether it's personnel or, or getting beat down. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen all of them uh, respond one way or the other. Yeah, Law, more than anything, I'm glad with what DA said, because at the end of the day, I agree with him that seven of these teams have a chance to win a title right now. Like, I really genuinely believe that even Dallas, Dallas might have the best player on the court in every series (laughs) they play the rest of the way, and that can win a series for you. They got a shot. Period, point blank. So. I love what we've seen so far. And I keep coming back to the Boston and Milwaukee series because that one to me is just, it's the best mix of just like hyper competitiveness, physicality, uh, elite standout skill players, because I think that Giannis and Tatum are two of the three guys that like, if I had to choose out of all the teams remaining, if I had to choose players and like draft a team, I think they would be two of the top three guys I would take. Like you watch those two fight and scratch and claw back and forth. And the only thing you wish is that Chris Middleton was healthy because if he was healthy, I think that Milwaukee would be almost like the, I think they would be the favorite to win the title based off of what we've seen so far, especially since they've gotten Brooke Lopez back from injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's really held it down in the paint. He's been able to uh, bring that added level of physicality at the rim defensively that Milwaukee kind of missed throughout the year. I mean, that was kind of the whole case of Giannis's case for defensive player of the year is that he was able to kind of hold their defense together. Uh, He and drew holiday with string basically. Yeah. (laughs) And now that Brooke is back, they've kind of figured it out. So I I look at Milwaukee and Boston and I love the way those two teams have fought through injury. I love the X's and O's battle. I just wish that like, look, and all due respect to George Hill, but like, a lot of what Tatum was doing in the fourth quarter was just getting mismatched on George Hill last yep. night and they taking advantage. Him. Yeah, they just hunted him, man. 
So imagine if that was Chris Middleton out there. Imagine if that was, you know, someone with real size and who could come back and try to bust Jason Tatum's ass on the other side of the court. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I, I respect both those teams are really, really fighting. And I have no idea. Like you, I couldn't even guess how that series is going to go from the rest of the way here. I was shocked. And I shouldn't say shocked because like you said, Middleton being out hurts Milwaukee to be sure. But I was still shocked without Robert Williams, that Boston could outsmall Milwaukee. I didn't think they could do it. I just didn't think there was a – I didn't think they could put five guys, five smalls on the floor that could outsmall Milwaukee, and they did. I mean, they had they had Derek White out there. They had, they had uh, Grant Williams out there for big minutes in the fourth quarter, and they scored 43 points. I mean, like, you know – and and Derek White Derek White made like three or four really big plays in the fourth quarter. So that was eye-opening to me that Boston had that. I thought that, you know, I figured their their only chance was to out big Milwaukee. Like they'll play mm. Tice and they'll play out they'll play Horford and they'll play Tatum up the, and they'll just try to, you know, out quick a big man in, in Lopez, but no, they got done with their smalls. It was, I think that like, that's what makes, that's what makes Boston such an interesting playoff team. Like back in February, I said back when they were in like sixth place in the East, I thought they were going to win two playoff series. I was hoping they'd match up with Philly more than Mm -hmm. Milwaukee. Cause I think Milwaukee's kind of a weird matchup for them. But I really liked Boston because of the ways that they can match up different ways with other teams. Right. Like, they can go small. Like you have Derek White and Marcus Smart, and then you have Jason and Jalen. You can play Al Horford who can stretch the floor, right? Or you can go super big with Robert Williams and Al Horford out there at the same time with Tatum and Brown on the wings. And then you're like six, seven plus across the board. So much about, you know, we often talk about depth being less important in the playoffs. I understand why we say that, but I I think more than anything where depth comes up is the ability to counter mismatches that opposing teams cultivate throughout a series, right? And what Boston is able to do is they're almost able to counter any punch that you throw at them and make it more difficult for you to keep going back to the well in the Mm -hmm. way that, like, for instance... Dallas is going back to the well attacking Cam Johnson in the Phoenix series or like Phoenix in game one, if I remember correctly, just game, know, two. game two, game yeah, two, went back to the well attacking Luka, Luka every yeah, single yeah, time. Yeah. 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 I think that depth question is going to be interesting. Um, you know, we were praising the Miami heat for how they were able to get contributions from a wide variety of guys, uh, especially uh, how they ended the Hawks series with Kyle Lowry hurt. Jimmy Butler missing the closeout game and then obviously taking that 2-0 lead. But now their question of depth is going to be, how do you, you know, the Duncan Robinson question comes up, right? Um, because they missed so many shots in Philadelphia. Yeah. Shots that they missed a lot in game one. Game one was was a bad shooting game for, for everybody. Game two, they lit up. The heat lit up. But they went to Philly. They didn't pack the jumper. Now they back in Miami. And especially with Kyle Lowry, he's going to miss game five. The question is, where does that depth come in? Because the Heat were like, we're going to play Victor Oladipo. We're going to continue to start Max Drews. Tyler Hero is the sixth man of the year. Literally, the depth award <laughs> of the season. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That Where does that leave a guy that not even a year ago 
It hasn't the, the ink hasn't been dry for a year. You gave Duncan Robinson a, I, a new ninety that, million deal. I am. That's a fascinating thing for me. I am. For I am good problem. I have no explanation for Duncan Robinson being, you know, get mode basically. Just like I, I don't know. I don't. What what has he done that warrants him just not playing anymore? Like I don't get it. Like forget the contract. He can shoot. You know what I mean? Like he can shoot. <laughs> And you need people who can shoot, and and they just don't play him. I don't understand. But who doesn't want to defend with Robinson I, and one of Tyler Hero, Max Struess on the floor? I, yeah, those it, dudes have it, played the whole game. Yeah, they don't play the, without one of those guys on the floor, Struess and Hero. Right, it, right. it's the Hero Robinson duo that's a real problem. Uh, uh, it, it's weird to me though, like Da said, that he's just been like totally MIA in this series because the way you can get the most out of Duncan Robinson is just hiding him on a guy like Matisse Thibel. And look again, like anytime Philly comes down the court, if they're smart, they're just going to have Matisse Thibel come up and set a screen for James Harden or Tyler mm-hmm. or Tyrese Maxey. Right. And they're going to yeah. try and get Duncan switched. And that's going to be the whole game. Right. But you know what? I think that's a win for Miami. If that happens, because if that's what's going on, it means Joel Embiid is away from dude, the action. Dude, I, like, this is my I'm point. good with that. Go ahead. That's exactly what I'm saying. Look, James Harden scored what he scored, 35 the other day? Great. Yeah. Do it again. I'm going to make you yep. do it three more, two more times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make you I do it two more times. I, w- I have a better chance of that not happening than Joel Embiid fouling all my guys out and scoring 40. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, I want to see what the Joel Embiid response game is going to be. I mean... They haven't even officially announced Jokic's MVP yet, but I, I can't wait to see. <laughs> oh God! All right, let's what that's all right, gonna all right. look like. Bro- okay, we gonna wake no, up. No, no, you brought it see. up. Bro- let's 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 seg to that because you brought it up. Now, I mean, I don't know if everybody has a vote. It doesn't matter to me if you actually have one or not. Yeah, I voted for I voted for Jokic. I did. I went back and forth a thousand million times on all three of them. And at each point in the last month, I had each of the guys, I said, no, it's that guy. And then I said, no, it's that. It's it's Embiid. No, it's Embiid. No, it's Giannis. No, it's Jokic. And I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. <clears throat> and I'm fine with my vote. I don't think, I think, it doesn't matter who I voted for, I would have gotten killed. Everybody who would have gotten killed. But what? let me hear your two, each of your thoughts on this. And again, whether you have a vote or not, who your MVP is this year. Shoot, I, I've last time I voted was in a municipal election, so um, I, I'm trying to get to I'm trying to get get one of those votes. I want to see what that looks like. You get something in the mail, or they just email I want to vote for man. I want to vote for governor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm from look, I'm from Philly, so I got a group chat that's going to blow me up. But um, Giannis was actually my guy for most of the okay. year yeah, uh, because of what Sam brought up yeah. the defense. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just felt like. What Giannis had to do on both ends of the floor, and without Lopez there, yeah. Yep. And if you want to talk about the whole, like everyone keeps bringing the playoffs up, which is just silly. It's like we've been both doing this voting thing as far as NBA awards for literally decades, and people still just react <laughs> to what happens in the playoffs, and it's like this is crazy, but whatever. I just was like, well, Giannis is doing a lot. He does the ball handling, the playmaking, the scoring, the defense, all that. Not that Jokic doesn't, like Jokic. And and the other thing is, I thought Giannis, his team was the better team. You know, mm-hmm. look at where Giannis's team 
was in the standings as a defending champion. And then obviously the Sixers are a, a step below that in the same conference. And then in what was a, actually an off year for the West. I was going to say the East the was a better conference six. this year too. So you can also exactly. make that point. So that was really that was really it. But I also wasn't going to get into it emotionally with these dudes. Like all of them were deserving, yeah. and the and they all knew that. All those guys talked all year about as long as a big man wins it, they're cool. Like that's the thing. But the their stands were always going to be <laughs> insufferable. So perfect word. <laughs> I ain't mind not having a vote. You know, ignorance was bliss for me. Well, that, that was that was the bummer of it all. Like. I thought that all three of these guys were better than Jokic last season when Jokic mm-hmm. won. Like I mm-hmm. thought that all three of these guys had historic years on some level. And it sucked that more than anything, this MVP race felt like it took away from their greatness. Yes. It felt like for some reason people got in their bonnet that they wanted to tear other guys down as opposed to lift up their guy. And that, that's what sucked for me. Like, look, I, I'd have voted for Giannis. I think Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. And on some level, I think we overthink MVP, right? Like, mm-hmm. I would just rather vote for the guy that I think is the best player in the league. The stats look like we need to refer to a record of some sort. We need to refer to wins and losses. We need to refer to what what happens, right? And stats are important. I, look, I, and I use advanced numbers as much as anyone. I can't get behind these metrics that say Nikola Jokic is one of the five best defenders in the league. Just straight up. Like, let, let's be real about it. Like, I know what goes into them. I know yeah. that rebounding is an important part of it. I know that on-off is an important part of it. And Denver is uniquely suited to set up a situation where Den- where Jokic's defensive numbers are going to be overrated because of how reliant they are on him as a rebounder and how reliant they are on him to play because their backup center situation was not very good this year. So yeah. and the other go ahead, Sam. Sorry. It's it's just it's annoying on some level. And like look, I, I'm going with Giannis. <laughs> on all levels, best, it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, like I, I go with Giannis because I think he's the best player in the league. Like on you know, he's great on defense. He's the top five defender in the league. Uh, I think he's the most unstoppable force offensively. He's a great rebounder, he's a great passer. Um he, he's just a little bit of a level ahead of Jokic. I think the level to which Giannis is ahead of Jokic defensively is mm-hmm. higher than the level to which Jokic is ahead of Giannis offensively. And, you know, you, you watch it bear out on the court. And I, I don't know, like, if you guys were starting a playoff team, would you rather have Giannis or Jokic? Giannis. Yeah. Yeah. Jokic has been a phenomenal have, yeah. playoff player. Yeah. He's been great. I mean, but I'm not Giannis even thinking is, twice. I can't have my guy getting hunted, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's it. And I honestly, I kind of feel a little bit the same way about Embiid. Like teams hunt Joel late in games at times. Yeah. You can't hunt Giannis. Like you can't. It's it, he's one of the best help defenders in the league. There, there's yeah. just so many levels to his game that are unbelievable. Chris Chris Hayes, yeah. who's the political guy at MSNBC, but he likes. I think he likes the NBA a lot because he talks. He tweets about it a lot. He he um yeah. said he made the, he asked an interesting question. He said is 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 Giannis the most unstoppable force physically since Shaq? And at first yeah. I went, oh, get out of here, you dilettante. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, hmm. <laughs> you know. I think Shaq would agree. The only I guy I could come up with. He would agree. The with only it. guy I could come up with was, you know, kind of vintage 20, 
2008 to 2011, LeBron. LeBron was unstoppable yeah. offensively. You know, once he's yeah. got his shoulder in front of you, you're dead. You have no way of stopping him. You couldn't right. stop him from getting to the basket. You know what I mean? Now the, the yeah. shot came and went, but but when he put his head down, you couldn't keep him from getting to the basket. You know, but it's close. <laughs> it's close between those two. You know, like Giannis is unstoppable and he's so long. It just... He gets so far in one stride that, man, crazy. It's crazy. that. Yeah, that- I think you've seen it up front that Boston fans are probably getting a little upset about how relentless and, and borderline reckless Giannis is. Like, Giannis is a bad free throw shooter who does not care that he's a bad right. free throw shooter. He keeps coming right. at you. right. Right. Well, then, like, the thing with Giannis is, too, Boston is the team that is best situated to defend him. They have Al Horford. They can throw Robert Williams on him from time to time. Grant Williams did a pretty good job, I thought, in game two. Mm -hmm. Um, You have Jason Tatum. You can throw on him for stretches. You have Jalen Brown. You can throw on him for stretches. You have Marcus Smart that can, like, at least annoy him for a little bit of time, right? How many other teams have six or seven guys that they can throw at Giannis? (laughs) Most other teams have one guy that can physically match up with him. Like, look at Miami, for instance. Like, Miami with, like, Bam at a bio. Okay, Bam's, for me, one of the three best defenders in the NBA. Okay, what what else do you do? Because you need a village to shut down Giannis. It can't just be, uh, you know, the mayor of the defense, (laughs) right? Right. We're talking about voting, so I I had to bring it back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I I agree with you. I think it's it's a good it's a good problem for the NBA to have because you know you had three guys have incredible seasons. You know, we're not even talking about Booker who had a really good season, right? Like he played really well this year in Phoenix. Um, and guys like that at that level. It's a good problem, but it gets back to what I think is going to really the league has got to understand that. NBA Twitter is a two-sided thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's it, There's nothing better when there's a great game going on. There's nothing better than NBA Twitter. And there's nothing worse when we disagree about something. There's just nothing worse. And it makes it very, it makes it unpleasant to be on Twitter and to be on social media because you can't say anything complimentary about anyone in this league Without this this rain of scorn and derision and condescension that comes your way for the most banal, benign takes you could possibly think of. You got to get the mentions off, man. That's the move. (laughs) I know. I know. Just Just throw those fire takes into the ether and just back away. It's so stupid. God. (laughs) Just takes all the fun out of it. You know what's fun about the... MVP race to who who we're debating and it's great that Sam is on is I'll think about where these guys started you know um Jokic is an MVP after being a a second round pick not just second round pick I'm pretty sure he was a a drafting stash right yeah he was so you didn't see him um even the year after he was drafted he was a 14 draft pick he didn't debut until 15 it wasn't like he was you know obviously he started but he had competition with another guy um, Nurkic, they drafted lots of, and, yes. and believe me, you know, Sam knows this. There were a lot of NBA people that thought Nurkic was better. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot. Same draft, same draft, 2014. Joel goes third, and he arguably could have been first, but everyone knew that Joel was going to miss time. 
we didn't know he was going to miss as much time. Yeah. So it's like the yeah. fact that he got to this point, that's a huge success, you know, um, especially coming from where he came from. Like he didn't grow up here. He, he's from Cameroon. And then obviously Giannis is like everyone's favorite draft story. <laughs> People who covered, covered Giannis. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's crazy. You're hundred percent right. Law. I mean, it's these guys that go under, it's why you see teams take shots on guys like, well, there's a guy in this draft, like Leonard Miller in Canada, who just like, don't, you know, you're still trying to figure out all the information on him because not all NBA teams have all of the information on him. And Leonard's kind of a different deal. Like he's from up in Canada. These guys like, you know, one is from Serbia and grew up like in a small town in Serbia. And, you know, Mishko Raznatovic, the agent, his agent, um, you know, works with Excel now and has his own agency over in Serbia. Like he just like found him hunting through box scores of small town Serbian basketball and brought him to mega. Um, you know, Giannis, uh, like the Giannis draft year is just crazy. I mean, it's just that he gets found playing second division Greece uh, yeah. and not, you know, even he's good Greek league. <laughs> no, you know, and, what, you know what? Like it's, it's why, it's why Oklahoma city takes the chance on Alexei Pokashevsky. You, yeah. you watch Poku's tape and it's just like, Oh man, like there are Giannis vibes here. And it's like, okay, he's not Giannis. Like he's nowhere near that, but right. You know, you can find these guys in the second Greek league where you don't have all of the information yeah, yet necessarily. Right, and right. you feel like you have to take a flyer on them because you just don't know. And then Joel's is just crazy because he was the very clear, unquestioned number one guy in a draft class that at the time was seen as strong. Uh, mm. Andrew Wiggins was considered one of the great prospects sure. uh, of the last you know 15 years. Jabari Parker had an incredible year at Duke and unfortunately just suffered the two knee injuries. Um, I think we kind of forget how good Jabari was in Milwaukee mm -hmm. for a minute there. He averaged like 26 and three for, you know, a calendar season, you know, if you cut half a season and then right, yeah, right, they right. got the first they got the Giannis season. and then they finally tanked for like the first time in the 21st century. And <laughs> yeah. their reward was, you know, they were sorry for Jabari. Right. right yeah. Right, and right. then, and then on top of it, like, you know, you, you look at how they've built that roster. I mean, Chris Middleton, they acquired for like a second round pick from right. Detroit, like right. in a bigger yeah. deal where he, he was, was a throw in the throw in. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. yeah totally lost. So, so I'm pretty sure that was the Brandon Jennings trade, right? It was. Yeah, right. that's right. Yes. And yes. it's just you, you need to every move matters on some level. Like, you know, OK, the, the hit rate on picks in the 50s, like that, that may not matter as much because the yeah. hit rates like somewhere between five and 10 percent on finding right. a rotation player. But these little moves that you think you're making, like, you know, going to evaluate a guy that is set to go somewhere between 12 and 18 overall, you know, or going to try and you know, figure out what player to acquire for Brandon Jennings, who's not quite worth a first round pick, but, you know, maybe, you know, sort of valuable and we have to find the middle ground. All these little moves matter. It's hard. It's it, sure. team. I do not envy the GMs that I talk to to build a draft board every day. It's hard. Right. Right. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's let's do let's take with the time we have left. Well, let's, let's talk draft. We should obviously talk draft with you, Sam. The lottery <laughs> is next week, and we wanted to make sure to get you on before the lottery, before the ping pong balls. And I am I love I am fascinated by this draft. I think yeah. this draft can and will help a lot of teams. I really think there's a lot of really good players in this draft. Now, maybe there's, is there, is there like, there's not a Cade Cunningham, right? There's not a consensus number one, but there's a lot of really good players in this draft. And I think part of it is because of the extra COVID year and guys stayed in school an extra year and maybe developed a little bit more. But I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that this, this has the potential to be one of the deeper drafts actually we've seen in the last few years. Yeah, I like the depth to a certain point, and I'm intrigued to see who stays in this draft as well, Mm -hmm. because we're kind of in that dead zone now where it looks so great in terms of depth, right? Like, oh man, (laughs) we have these picks at 42, like we might be able to get Max Christie or, you know, Josh Minot or some high upside freshman that might just decide to go pro, right? Yeah. until we know how deep the draft pool actually is, it's hard right. to say in terms of depth, right? Right, 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 right. I'll say this. Like, I think that I have something in the ballpark of 17 to 18 guys that I think are like, no doubt are definitely yeah. first round picks. Yeah. That's a little low for this time of year. I. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the top of the draft, you don't have the Cade, so you don't have you don't have what Zion Williamson was and what we think he can be long term. Um, you have Anthony Davis, right? You have four guys at the top that I think have all star ceilings for sure, yeah. and then you have a yeah. wild card in Shaden Sharp that certainly has that kind of potential at the very yeah. least. Um, it, it's an interesting draft. It, it's it's the most pure like eye of the beholder draft that you'll find okay, that's a good way of putting it yeah yeah i okay. can remember in a while because mm-hmm. like for instance like chet holmgren right yes i've talked to evaluators who think chet holmgren is like you know rudy gobert mixed with some incredible scorer on the nba level right yeah. i've talked to others who want nothing to do with him in the top five because they just don't trust the frame yeah. to continue to develop and mature in the way it needs to so does he go number one because one of those GMs that loves him just takes him at number one or does he fall to four because you know, the three teams at the top don't really like him. There's it's so it's such a wild, you know, swing for a lot of these guys. I think that are in the top four right now. Yeah. Now what I wanted to do was um, maybe, you know, match, teams with best fits right like you know i mean we don't know who the top pick is going to be we don't know who's going to win the lottery right now so we can't say with certainty you know who's gonna do what but if if it's stuck 
if the if the order that it's in now stuck and Houston pick number one, like is Jabari Smith the best fit for Houston? Or or would it would it potentially be Chet Holmgren? You know what I mean? That's what I'm yeah. kind of trying to get to. Yeah, that we would love to see. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think that like it depends. Houston needs to make a decision on what they think Alper and Shangun is, and mm-hmm. if they think he is a core piece that you need to build around because you love his offensive upside that much. Yeah. Then I think you take Chet because Chet is a much much better fit with Alper and Shangun than Jabari Smith is. If you decide that you think Shangun is, you know, a guy who's just always going to have defensive deficiencies and someone that uh, you're worried about being able to stay on the court, the most important moments, I would take Jabari. Mm -hmm. Jabari is the number one player on my board. I think he's the safest guy in this class. He's an unbelievable shooter. Uh, Maybe the best like six foot 10 plus shooter that I've ever evaluated. Mm -hmm. Um, He can get to his step back with ease. There, there are holes, right? Like he is not a great passer. He's not a great ball handler going forward, attacking the rim. He can dance with it a little bit and create a step back, but he's not great at just physically being able to bully his way to the basket yet. Yeah. Um, he's still 18. So you hope that that ability comes as he matures and grows. I think he's still 18 for a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, like it, it's, it's tricky. Like Houston, I think takes one of those two guys and kind of sees where it goes. Sam, I wanted to know because we had the NFL draft uh, at the end of April and I saw you get excited when it was over because it's like, yes, yeah, my time of the year now. <laughs> and I mean, I, I kind of got excited along with you. I was like, oh, shoot. And, you know, I'm not covering a team that even has a first round. <laughs> so um, how does the lottery and the combine that comes after it change how you look at where things are going to go on draft day when you've been watching these guys all year anyway, like what else is there to kind of do after, after the lottery, like from the workout circuit, like how does that move things? Yeah. You you have to separate on some level first and foremost, right? Like what you're hearing from NBA teams and what they think is going to happen versus what your opinion on these guys are. Because again, specifically in this draft, this is absolutely a draft where like, I'm going to have strong opinions on guys. Um, You know, I'm trying to think like I talked about Memphis in their front office earlier, like Zach Kleiman and their front office is going to have strong opinions. Lawrence Frank, the GM that you cover, he's going to have strong opinions. Right. And no board is going to really look the same. Like, there was something of a consensus last year with, you know, Cade Cunningham going number one. And then you had, you know, the next four guys kind of in that tier. For me, I didn't have Scotty Barnes in that tier and I was very wrong. Some teams did, some teams didn't. Um, but you felt pretty good about what that was going to look like uh, in terms of what the next few picks were going to go, or at least the next, you know, two through five. This year, it's it's going to be tricky. Like, I don't think there's any real consensus in terms of where that goes. Now, in terms of what that means for the process after the combine, A, I think there is a lot of movement potential at the combine this year. As teams see these guys up close, uh, get to meet with them, get to talk with them. 
um, get to learn more about their background and more about the way that they see the game. So many of these guys are young freshmen, right? These these wild card swings that you're just trying to figure out like a Max Christie, right? Mm. Uh, I keep bringing him up because he's the one that's like kind of at the top of my mind. Cause I think he's in a weird spot. Mm. Um, you know, does he see the game in a way that you think you can develop? Uh, does you know, so much, so many of these guys in this class are nowhere near ready to play in the NBA. Like I, I, I loved Herb Jones last year. I had him as a first round grade. Um, I, I thought he could step in as a rotation player relatively early. I, I don't see that guy this year. Like I, I don't see, you know, maybe Ochag Baji, but like I think he's going to go in the top twenty. So yeah. it's it's harder, I think, for teams to sort through and like rack and stack their boards. And I think that because of that, because they want to get to know these guys a little bit more, understand what their feel for the game is, their IQ, their work ethic, their potential development track are they going to keep going up and up and up or are they going to stagnate a little bit as we move forward here i think there's a lot of room for movement you know once you get outside of that like you know essentially right outside of the lottery i think there's a lot of room for movement with these guys you know there's one thing that was interesting to me as you as you look at the draft board potential draft boards is that last year ignite from the g league they had two top six picks had yeah. another guy just outside the first round in Todd, right? Um, Dacian Nix had a great year in the G League too. Dacian Nix had a great year in it, right? And and did very well. But this year they have maybe one first round pick, you know, in all likelihood. And I I wonder if that is the impact of the NIL, if that's the impact of overtime elite taking you know potential players away. I, you know, was it was it a outlier last year, or is that you know? Because there was so much that the NBA put into Ignite in yeah. terms of wanting that to become a drawing card, a something they can some a team they can put on TV a lot, you know, to draw to draw eyeballs and interest in G League games. And if they're just going to be another non-NBA team now, that has repercussions. Yeah, I mean, it was like an eight-figure investment into yeah. everything that they did with. Uh, the Ignite, and that's a significant investment even for the NBA, right? Like yeah. we think of it like, but yeah, they spent like a Landry Shamet deal on G League Ignite. <laughs> right. But right, like, right. It's not right. an insignificant amount of money, right? Um, right? It's interesting. So there are three guys I think that have a chance to end up in the first round. Dyson Daniels is like pretty firmly in the first round. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm right. not worried right. about him going anywhere. I think he's the best perimeter defender in the draft. Uh, he's going to go somewhere in the top, you know, Top 18, I think you could hear his name as early as like seven or eight if things really went nuts. Um, Marjan Beauchamp is a 21, or no, he's 20, turns 21 before the season. Uh, He has a fascinating story. He decided to go to this training facility called Chameleon BX where they physically were going to develop him and then he was going to train in the Bay Area with, uh, you know, just in gyms essentially mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. during the time that he was there and pass up the college route. And then the pandemic happened, unfortunately, and it ended up kind of throwing off his entire development track record. He ended up, he's from Yakima 
in Washington and he just ended up at Yakima Valley Community College and just like wrecked guys last year right, right, right. Uh, for like 15 <laughs> games. Like he dropped like 35, 15 and like five assists in these yeah, 12 yeah. games or whatever. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my God. And then Jamal Crawford hit up uh, Rod Strickland and said like, hey, I've got this kid. He was a top 50 recruit. He's like kind of searching for a home right now. And Rod Strickland went out and saw him and was like, hey, let's sign him. And now he's morphed into a guy that is probably going to go in the top 40 at the very least. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that his agency thinks he has a chance to go somewhere in the top like 18. Look, once you get outside of that top like 14, 15, I, I don't think that's crazy by any yeah. stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, he's got six foot seven with seven foot wingspan. He's a junkyard dog. Like he fights, he scratches, he claws for every single rebound for every single, yeah. you know, position on the court. Like I, I love the way he's gone about developing his game. Mm -hmm. And then the last guy is Jaden Hardy. Yes. Jaden Hardy is the guy that was supposed to be exactly. the Jalen right. green of this class. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a great year to start in the G League. He kind of, he brought it back a little bit late as he figured out, okay, I, one of my better skills, honestly, is that I can make high-level passing reads. And he started to play a little bit more unselfishly and get his teammates involved a little bit more. But early on, it was just a lot of chucking and he's not a good enough shooter to chuck consistently. Like it, it just is what it is. I think he has the best handle in the mm. class, but uh -huh. he's six foot three. I think yeah. he's listed at six four, but you know he, he he certainly doesn't look six foot four when he plays out there, and he doesn't finish at the rim, and he is like an okay shooter right now, mm -hmm. not a great shooter, and he doesn't make good decisions, and his defense is terrible, and like it, it's one of those deals where I, I felt similarly about Jordan Poole entering the NBA. Uh, he was not a good defender. He didn't make good decisions on the court. But he had something, right? Mm -hmm. Like he had mm -hmm. the ability to create a shot. And you know what? If I was an NBA team, I would take a shot on Jaden Hardy in the first round because sometimes these guys are Jordan Poole. Sometimes they're Rashad Vaughn, right? right. Like, you know, maybe maybe it won't work. But yeah, the upside, yeah. as we've seen in the playoffs, of getting a guy who can get his own shot in isolation, it's, it's worth a first round pick at the very mm -hmm. least, I think. Mm -hmm. How do you feel like these playoffs has kind of changed how these teams might be looking at, at the draft? You know, the teams that they made it or they've won in the playoffs, you know, and then you look at the different skill sets. And even though people yeah. love talking about positionless, but clearly some of these guys have to be on the floor with some <laughs> other guys. You know, well, it's, there's it's, a role that yeah. it fills in. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because this year felt like the year of the big man. Right. Like we were back to it. We had Joel Embiid. We had Nikola Jokic. We had uh, MVP, an awesome MVP race filled with bigs. But at the end of the day, what wins in the playoffs is versatility and scheme versatility and switchability and being able to minimize mismatches on the court. Uh, you look at what all of these teams have done in the playoffs. That's what they, I think, do best. Even Dallas. Like Dallas is playing lineups where like Dorian Finney-Smith is the biggest guy on the court or Maxi Kleba is the center because Maxi can hold up in a switch, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he might get punished. Like I, I think that the thing that Phoenix and DeAndre Ayton hasn't done well enough yet is punish Maxi Kleba for being out there. But at the end of the day, it's just th those are the guys that matter. 
is role players, the guys that can be switchable. Your Grant Williams is, you know, is another yeah. guy that DA brought yeah. up earlier. So I think that that is what that is what teams are looking for. And in this class, there there are a lot of them. There are a lot of potential role players. It, it's it's so hard to say. Like, are we better at identifying these players now than we were? three years ago? Are we better at finding them? Or is this class just uniquely filled with them? I don't really know the answer to that. I just know that I think that outside of the top three guys on my board, four guys on my board, I think that like everyone from five to 18 is somewhere between, you know, six foot five to six foot 10 and can switch (laughs) and move laterally and can do stuff like this. Right. right? (laughs) Yeah. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. I don't know. I think this could be very, this could be fascinating for me. And I, I was, I would tell people to make sure that they listen to your game theory this week. You had a great, great conversation with James Edwards about, about the Pistons. Yeah. And I completely agree with you about, I think Ivy would be the perfect fit for them yeah. uh, to play next to Kane. And to me, it's, it's twofold. Number one, his talent require his talent is a good fit. Yeah. His skill set's a good fit. And to me, I'd much rather have him become a star than give $100 million to Jalen Brunson and hope, he's a, <laughs> hope he becomes a star. You know, I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, to yeah. me, I just... I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on Jalen ended up in Detroit. I know that's a thing that's gone around. Yeah. We'll, uh, yeah. We'll, you know, but we'll, that to me is just... For, for many reasons. For where, for where <laughs> the Pistons are right now... Yeah. Why would you start throwing money at guys that that you think could be good yeah. for you and you don't know? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. You know. No, I'm, I'm with you. Like I, I think that th- they're in a weird spot right now because I think Kate is so good that they're going to be too good to tank next year. Yes. Like I, I don't think that they're going to be able to you know be terrible again next year. They might win 30 to 35 games, but that still mm-hmm. puts you somewhere in like the seven to 10. You're in the discussion for the play in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's tricky, I think on some level, because you, you need to balance that desire to compete and you need to balance that, uh, 
reality of where you are in your build and that the Eastern Conference is strong right now and you're not quite there. And on top of it, you need to balance that Jeremy Grant is in the last year of his deal. Yeah. And you need to figure out, is he going to stay here? Is he someone we're better off using as a trade chip? Because if you trade Jeremy Grant, you're probably getting worse immediately mm-hmm. on the court in terms of what your immediate well, you're getting another is. draft pick, right? I mean, that's right. What you're or, or a couple. Yeah. 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 So yeah. It, it, they're tricky. Uh, the reason I like Jaden for them is that I think that it, it's probably a better fit for Jaden than it might be for the Pistons. Like I think I would take Jabari <laughs> Smith ahead of, Jaden Ivy, unquestionably. Right, right, right. I, I think I would probably take Chet ahead of Jaden, just because I you? think Chet. I think Chet is technically now like there are practical and like realistic concerns about his frame, and I think those are all real concerns. In terms of like his technical defensive ability, what his anticipation is, what his ability to cover ground is, uh, his ability to switch out on the perimeter a little bit. He is an elite, elite rim protector from day one, even in the NBA at that size. Mm -hmm. He is so Mm -hmm. good at staying big and vertical. I think he is the best technical teenage defender I've ever seen in my life, period. He's that good. Now, Will the frame allow that to work out in actuality? Mm. I don't know. And because of that, I think that like Evan Mobley is, you know, just as good of a defensive prospect as Chet because those questions are real and they're important to discuss. But in terms of the way he thinks about the game and his tools and everything like that and his anticipation, he's unbelievable on defense. And I think I would take that over Jaden Ivey. But you start getting into like Apollo Bancaro or Jaden Ivey discussion. Yeah. I would probably take Jaden at the end of the day, because I think that Jaden, what Detroit is missing in their young core is real athleticism, just Mm -hmm. burst, like the ability to go. Like for as much as I love Cade, Cade's like a half court operator. Right. He's a a faster Kyle Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The same kind of guy. Right. You know, like, like, you know, and that's not an insult. That's, you know, (laughs) Projects as a better shooter, projects yeah, yeah, as like yeah. a little bit better ball handler. But yeah, like to- I think that's like a, not a terrible, like I think it makes sense in terms of what yeah. you're saying, right? He thinks the game more than he, um, you know, explodes through the game, I guess. Yeah. Whereas Jaden is exploding through the game. And then you look at the other guys they have, Isaiah Stewart, Sadiq Bey. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to call Killian Hayes is a guy that's a part of their core. I, I wouldn't really do that but i mean I think yeah. they probably do that um <laughs> see i think that's what's really interesting about the draft sam i was going to ask you uh naturally we're looking at the future and we have a real deep dive into the present status of what these teams look like but yeah. uh naturally you got to look back like the young guys who are still in a make or break situation the yeah. recent lottery picks that haven't established themselves yet and then a little further back five years, it's like, how often do you kind of look at, you know, the recent history of not just what teams do, but how players are developing and how's that influence like what you're kind of seeing? Well, there, there are two fronts on that question. I think it's a great question. So the, the first part of it is how do you go about developing a team that, you know, makes sense. Right. And I really think getting playing time for these guys is so important. Like Jonathan Kaminga starting two playoff games over the course of the last week, that's going to be invaluable 
for his development long-term. Being able to get these guys on the court because you haven't drafted guys over them in their specific position, I think is so, so important to fostering their development from an earlier age. And part of the thing is too, as a NBA evaluator, you have to consider like, like I just wrote a thing on the Nets with Alex Schiffer, right? Mm -hmm. Like the Nets drafted Aaron Sharp last year. And I think they drafted him because they knew they didn't have any bigs on the roster following this year, right? Because Nick Claxton's a free agent. They have to figure out what they're going to do with them. Daron was such a project from a number of different fronts. Basically what he was good at from day one was rebounding. And that was, everything else was going to be, they were going to have to develop the skill, develop the talent. He has natural talent. It was just going to take time. Um, But because they didn't play him at all this year, you don't really know what you have in him yet. And that's okay, like for rookies. But once you start getting into the second year, because maybe the Nets bring, bring a couple of veteran bigs in and he's still not playing, and you have to make a decision on a fourth-year option, which is like, you know, twice as expensive as a third-year option. This is where things start to get hard. And why, especially near the end of the draft, I tend not to love these project D guys unless they're um, just so good, so, have so many tools that they're just like, you can't pass on it, right? Um, it's all right. an expected value equation. You know, you just have to kind of figure out, you know, is the upside worth the certainty that this guy is going to be good? Kind of. Um, the second part of your question law is interesting as a personal evaluator of talent as well, right? Like trying to figure out, you know, I, I dislike Jordan Poole. I, I dislike everything about his profile. I was so effing wrong on Jordan Poole. Like I could not have been more incorrect on the way that his career has gone and you try to figure out, well, what did you miss? What, what were the, you go back and you try and figure out what were the signs that this was there? What were the, um, you know, what, what was his skill set that you missed during the pre-draft process? And in Jordan's case, having talked to people around him and people who have trained him, people at Michigan, what I missed was the work ethic. Uh, he was a kid at Michigan. I don't know if you guys remember his nickname, but like it was swaggy pool. Like he was like kind of like the Nick Young of college basketball that year. And what I missed was that like all that was a little bit for show in college and behind it, he was in the gym constantly and he was working. And I think it's developed a little bit since he's been in Golden State too. I think that fit in that way matters to such a substantial extent, finding the right location, finding the right vets. Yes, this was the point I was going to make. And it's no disrespect to Jordan Poole, but there's guardrails at Golden State. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there's guardrails and you can't go outside the guardrails and there's expectations and there are – there are daily role models to to yeah. show you how to do it. There are professionals, you know, that you, you, in Draymond and Steph and Clay that winning show you. Winning begets winning. Yes. Yes. And again, no disrespect. Jordan Poole on the Orlando Magic this year, I don't think has the same season, right? Like, and that's Probably not, not. That doesn't mean he's yeah, bad. Yeah. Doesn't It just means that they're not in a position where they can kind of rein in his excesses and build up his strengths yeah. and play no, him. I think, I think that's a really great way to put it. Yeah. We can celebrate Jordan Poole this year in part because of how 
rough Jordan Poole's rookie year was. That's true. Yes. I think that's, that's part of it point. too. Yes, Jordan yes, Poole yes, 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 yes. had a great rookie year yes. and was like yeah. from the jump, we were like right. reacting to him like kind of how we reacted to Desmond Bain, for instance. Then yeah. that's one story. But a part of the Jordan Poole story is Jordan Poole was looking like a one, you know, a rookie <laughs> scale yes, contract yes, and dumb yes, player yes, after yes. one year. That's yeah, I was yes. worried that he was not going to get his fourth year option picked up like yeah. halfway through his second year. And, you know, he started to figure it out like by the end of that second year. And now he's unbelievable. And, you know, going back to the Orlando thing as well, like the other thing Golden State has is they have guardrails in defensively as well. Like what Memphis, you know, to go back to the playoffs, like the thing that Memphis hasn't done nearly enough of is attack him. Like there were times last night where they switched him off of the guy that had the ball. And I was just like, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Like he can't, like he's been horrible defensively in that series and he's so good offensively. Like he's averaging God. I think he's, I think I looked before the game yesterday and it was like 23 points on 56% shooting from the field and 45 from three. And it was like, it's crazy. (laughs) What the hell is this? But like, it doesn't matter what you do defensively if that's what's going to happen. But I, you know, I, I think that if he was in Orlando, we talk a lot more about the defensive problems that yes. he has, e- even if he was as good as he is offensively. Correct. And he might be like, again, like I've talked to people who have trained him, like he works his ass off. He mm-hmm. is a crazy. I think that that first year might have kind of humbled him a little bit. Yeah. And like it, he 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 is a worker. He puts in the time. It is all on him that he is where he is. Uh, and it's a credit to him that he is where he is. But, you know, if if he's in Orlando and teams are attacking him like every single night, I, I don't know if we feel the same about right. him. And, and he's a he's well, we don't know because we don't know who the other players, but chances are he'd be a much more high volume shooter in Orlando than he yeah. is. In, you know what I mean? And so the Golden State generates way more open shots for him and better. Yeah, and better else. shots. Right. You know, so, yeah, yeah I mean, I just say it's all. It it's fascinating. The draft is fascinating. Player development. But I, I, is, see, like I love talking about my misses, though. Like that's yeah, what's yeah, yeah. fun no, about that's great. this. Like I, I love, dude. It, I, it's not. There's no reason not to. Like yeah. it, it's on the record. Like what? What are you going to avoid it? You know. Like I think. I think it's important to go back if you're going to get better at this. Like you have to go back and figure it out. What did I miss? Like what? what where did I get this wrong? You know. I would have bet. Yeah. I would have bet a year's salary. Greg, Greg Oden would be. a 15 year old star. I just would I know. Have bet everything I had that, that he was going to be, you know, the next great center in this league and a dominant player. And, and now he's the director <laughs> you know, of operations right. at Butler university. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all got him. You're right. We all have him. So yeah, that, you I, know I love that's a good story. I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that. The ones I missed. <laughs> The ones I missed. Yeah. It's good. I love the draft, man. And you know what? I love the draft and Twitter. Uh, I know we were just clowning on Twitter uh, with a certain part of the discussion about um, the NBA. But the thing is, we got something to learn every day. Uh, we're, we're learning about yeah. players. We're learning about yeah. different what players can do and what who these players simply are sometimes on a daily basis. And the scope is bigger in the playoffs. But, I mean, the work is really starts here. Like, Sam does such great work. Uh, I remember last year getting ready for a draft and it's like, man, you learn a lot about all these players, the guys who get drafted as well as the guys who 
they might get a cup of coffee in summer league and they're off to some corner of the world. Um, and I'm ready, I'm ready to send them to my to guys here in Australia law. That's it. There you, go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, look for both of you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you jumping in this week. Um, it, this is great. We we need to get all, all, we need to do this again. This was, this is fun. I'm in. And again, I'm serious. I love listening to y'all. I like learning from y'all about this, about what's going on. Cause it's, it's a great, it's a great time of year if you love basketball. It really is. This is a, this is a phenomenal time of year because there's hope for the bad teams coming up soon. And then the good teams are slugging it out. I mean, what else would you want? You know? So, look, leave that five-star review on Apple, on Spotify, or Google Play, wherever you get this Fine America podcast. And as Marcus always says, if you're going to leave a less than five-star review, keep it to yourself. Haters, see you next time. <laughs> Oh man, thank you guys. That was great. That was great.